Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Happy Sunday to you. Welcome into the new year. If you were not here with us last year, uh, then this is probably the last time I say it to you on a Sunday. Happy New Year. Hope everybody had a good start to the new year. If you have not been here before or haven't met you, my name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Vintage Church in Liberty Hill, and I just want to join our team by welcoming you. I'm excited today because we're going to be kicking off uh, kind of a new mini-series. This is just going to be three weeks, but really in, in many ways it's going to set the tone for the year. The series is called, as you can see on the screen, The Everyday Disciple, and together over the next three weeks, we're we're going to be discussing three questions that I think really define the Christian life. And these questions and your answers honestly will determine the trajectory of your life in many ways and ultimately can affect the effectiveness of your faith. And we're going to get into that in just a few moments. If you're new here, I would love to connect with you right after the service at the top of the stairs to the right. We have our guest suite. We'll be there. We have a gift for you. My wife and I would love to just shake your hand, get to know who you are a little bit. Also, if you're new and you haven't downloaded our Vintage Church app, you're going to want to do that. You can take notes in there. We have message notes in there. And of course, everything going on here at the church, you can find out about in the app. The last thing I want to tell you about is something uh, that I'm calling Coffee with the Pastor. How many like to have coffee with the pastor? Maybe nobody, but I do. I find pastors and have coffee with them all the time. It's always a good experience. But I, I really do like to take some time and get to know the people in our church, try to be as available as I possibly can. But I've done something uh, that I think will make it helpful, and that's that I've set aside a block of time every Wednesday morning where you can actually just book yourself 45 minutes to have coffee with me. And I would love if you would take advantage of that. I know sometimes it's like, man, I'd like to connect. I just don't know how. Um, so you can grab that right now, and this will be up before and after every service for the foreseeable future. So anytime you want, just grab that QR code. And if a spot's open, then you can take it. I really do hope that you'll take advantage of that. I love spending time with people. I hope that makes it easier for you. Um, as we kick off this new series, I want to tell you, uh, in some ways, it's like more of the same. And here's what I mean. When we follow Jesus, do I need a different mic? I'm just hearing all kinds of, I'll let you guys tell me from back there. But as we follow Jesus, I, I think sometimes we, we live our Christian life like wanting to go from one home run experience to the next, when the truth of the matter is, what Jesus is really asking us to do is to keep hitting singles. Just keep hitting singles. You keep hitting this, every, every baseball guy knows, if you just keep on hitting those singles, eventually they start to come in. You know what I'm talking about? And so in many ways, while there's some new things coming your way, there's also kind of more of the same. Because that's really what we need. And one of the things that we intentionally do as a church is we spend time focusing on the fundamentals. Because how many know that's where we tend to spend the least amount of time, which causes us ultimately most of our problems in the end. You may know that I'm an Alabama football fan. And uh, Roll Tide, yeah, come on somebody. There's a few War Eagle folks in here. We just pray for you every day without ceasing that you may come to salvation at some point in your life. But... In addition to being an Alabama fan, I'm a fan of Nick Saban, and I probably would be a Nick Saban fan even if he coached for somewhere else. In fact, I was a Nick Saban fan even when he coached somewhere else, and the reason why is because I think that Nick Saban is a great leader, and if you want to learn how to be a great leader, well, then you listen to other great leaders. And one of the things, if you've ever listened to Coach Saban talk about one of his secrets to success, you've heard him talk about the process. That's right, the process. And the process is really just a term that encompasses this idea that all of the little things matter. All the little things matter. The fundamentals, doing things the right way, remembering why you do the things that you do. 
and never stopping doing them. For Coach Saban, you come to his program, he doesn't actually care how great of an athlete you are and how long you've been playing football and how much you know about the game. He's going to take your behind through the process. Like you're just learning it all for the first time. And he's going to make you do it over and over and over again. Because in order to be great, in order to be great, you have to stick to the little things that matter. And of course, you learn new things along the way, but it's so easy. It's so easy to forget what you think you already know. So you continue to repeat things that you've already known until it begins to make a difference. And I think this is really the key difference between having momentary change in your life and experiencing lasting transformation. Now, every year about this time of year, we hear a lot about change, right? Everybody's all about change at the new year, new year, new you. We were in a message planning meeting for this year uh, several months ago, and somebody said that, new year, new you, and I started laughing. I was like, I I will never do that. (laughs) We're not doing the new year, new you. We're going to do, it's it's another day, and it's the same you, and we got to get a little better following Jesus along the way. But at this time of the year, people are all about, man, i got to try something new. Uh, i got to start a new program, I got to join a new gym, I got to get on a new food thing, maybe I want a new job, I got to, everything's new, but statistically speaking, none of this stuff is going to last, because we're not actually good at transformational change. Matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, but coming up this Friday, we've got a national holiday, uh, it's called National Quitters Day. <laughs> it's a real thing. Uh, you, you laugh. You shouldn't be surprised because there's a day for everything, and almost all, of, almost all of them are ludicrous, as this one is. But it's true. The second Friday of January, go look it up, it's National Quitters Day. And it falls on this day because statistically speaking, by the second Friday of January, over 80% of people who made commitments to something new have abandoned those resolutions altogether. They said, I just quit. I just give up. I remember a few years back, uh, I don't know if my wife will remember this, but we, she probably will. We watched this documentary called Forks Over Knives. Anybody ever seen that? Forks Over Knives. Yeah, just don't watch it. It'll mess up your life and get in your head. But we, we watched this. Uh, if you're a vegan in here, it's your favorite movie. It's, we can talk about that later over coffee, and we can use almond milk or whatever you want. It's okay. I love you. But we watched this, we watched this, this Netflix documentary, or Forks Over Knives, and, and essentially the premise was that everything that comes from animals is what's killing you. Um, and I watched it, and it actually, like, really affected me. I was like, wow, like, this seems right. This Uh, this seems like maybe something I should do. And so I made a resolution. And because I don't really like New Year's resolutions, I was like, well, I'm just going to become vegan. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to stop eating meat. And um, I lasted about six weeks, which is actually pretty amazing if you know how much I enjoy Texas barbecue. But I I distinctly remember driving down 29, and I was so angry (laughs) over nothing. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm just mad. And I had this, this thought occurred to me that, if I don't eat some meat today, I may actually kill someone and spend the rest of my life in the penitentiary. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was just at the point that I couldn't take it anymore. So my hat's off to people like my friend Michael who actually did it and stuck with it. God bless your ministry, sir. But I couldn't do it. There was no lasting change available for me in the vegan lifestyle. So I went to Smoky Moe's. I ate a little brisket. and God, I felt like a human being again. It was incredible. It was one of the best days of my life when I said, I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) That's the way New Year's resolutions can kind of be. 
You know, they can be that way. I don't know if you know this either, but the idea of a New Year's resolution is actually a 4,000-year-old Babylonian tradition of changing your behavior at the beginning of the New Year. That's right. That's right. Your New Year's resolution is participation in a Babylonian system and not a biblical one. And the reason for that is why people of the world can experience momentary change all the while the Bible is after Long-term heart and life transformation. That's right. The, beha- the, the behaviors of the world. They can talk to you about behavior modification. But heart transformation is something that only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit and following the word, the will, and the ways of God. So the, the Bible, specifically Jesus into the New Testament, uh, introduces, I think, a biblical process for lasting transformation. And it starts right here in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. It says this. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Say heart. All of your soul and all of your mind. Say mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Notice the way Jesus emphasizes your heart, your soul, and then at the end, your mind. Your mind. See, Jesus is teaching us something. The the Apostle Paul would later echo in Romans chapter 12, right at the beginning of that chapter, he says this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I plead with you, just like Ryan was pleading with you, come to the worship night tonight, it's going to be awesome. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Come on, who would like to know God's will for your life? Well, that's one of the ways that you can get to it. So with that in mind, the first of three questions that we're going to be asking and hopefully answering over the next three weeks is this. The first question is, what do you believe? What do you believe? Now, I said there may be some repetitive in this because we talked about this a few times over the last year. But how many know? Our beliefs and what we believe, they sort of always seem to be like either in a state of, of flux or challenge, or doubt. I mean, you can say, I believe, but then when you lay your head on the pillow at night, something is happening, and you're going, do I really believe that? Is that really, someone says something to you. How could you possibly believe, ba, 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 ba? And then you start going, that's a good question. Why do I believe that? Our beliefs are always sort of in this state of being challenged by people, by things that we see here by the enemy. Even when, by the way, even when you have good habits in your life, how many know they're in daily danger of ending because of what happens up here between your two ears? You can have good habits, but as quickly as you can get them, they can go away in a moment. So while on one hand it's true you do what you believe, what you believe is not actually informed so much by what you do as it is by what and how you think, what you meditate on, what you constantly set before your eyes and your ears. That's what really informs what you will believe, which then in turn 
comes out in what you do. So yes, God wants you to transform your life. And he can do that through a lot of means. I mean, some of you, I have myself, have had massive supernatural experiences where pains, hurts, habits, hangups, all kinds of things are come off in a moment in time because the power of God is so real. I believe in that. I've experienced that. In fact, I hope you come tonight because I'm praying and believing for some moments like that for some of you who are battling some sicknesses, who are battling some things mentally, who are just needing some breakthrough and needing to hear God in a different way in this new year. And at the same time, while I'm praying and believing for that, and I know it's going to happen, I have watched so many people over my life who had major encounters with the presence of God, and then six months later, they're like back to their same old self, sometimes worse. I was sharing with someone this week about uh, when I was a teenager, we had a youth group that a lot of the students there I thought were really on fire for God. In fact, at one point we had a Friday morning prayer meeting in the middle of summer at 6 a.m. that students would flock to and come and experience God's presence. And now today, of the people I'm still in touch with, the vast majority of those people who were after those experiences have now fallen away. They're, they're into apostate churches, or they're atheists, or they're just kind of uh, creasters that come to church Christmas and Easter. Very few of those people, I would say, are actually still following Jesus, being disciples. And so we look and go, man, why is that? And I think at some level it's because they hadn't gotten to the point to really change the way they thought. Like day after day after day, day in, day out, day in, day out. Do I get into God's word? Do I follow the will and the ways and the word of Jesus? In fact, I think if I had a word for this year, for us, it would be every day. It would be every day because that's what God's after. He's after us every day, waking up, recommitting, reconsecrating ourselves, getting back into his word and figuring out how to follow him a little better today than we did yesterday. I think that's what God has for us. So here's the big idea. Here's the big idea. God can transform things in a moment. But I believe lasting transformation happens by changing the way you think. Actually changing the way you think. And again, I'm not talking about the heart change. That is a big thing. I'm not talking about the moments of healing. We need those. But the sustained, lifelong transformation. Eugene Peterson wrote a great book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That title sums it up right there. It's what God is after from us. And here's why changing the way we think is so important. Isaiah 55 says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, <laughs> says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And if that doesn't convince you, how about Proverbs 14 that says this, There is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end leads to, say it, death. That's right. How about that? The way we think leads to death, according to Proverbs. And this is actually part of the schemes and strategy of the enemy. He knows this. The enemy knows this. So he comes, he tries to attack the way you think. The enemy will attack your mind and send you spinning into confusion. He wants to disrupt what's happening, not just in your world, but inside of your own head and bring you into a state of, of fear, of confusion, of uncertainty. That's where he wants you because when he's got you there, you are paralyzed from being who God's called you to be. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 6.11, put on the armor of God so that you'll be able to stand 
stand firm against strategies of the devil. The armor of God is spiritual. And you're saying, but Nate, I thought you were talking about the mind. Isn't that natural? Yes. But what happens in your natural mind is also spiritual. You are spirit, soul, and body. And while those things operate in distinct ways, they're all you. And you can't separate any of them. Going through life and thinking, well, things can be good in the spirit and it doesn't really matter what I think. That's not going to work. That's not going to last. The focus on winning the spiritual battles, it includes walking in the spirit and also taking control over your mind. Taking all thoughts captive, as Paul says. So while your thoughts and my thoughts and the thoughts that the enemy puts in our mind all lead to death, the way God thinks leads to life. John 6, 63 says this, the spirit alone, spirit alone gives eternal life. Spirit alone. Think about that. I'll just pause there before I finish. Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. The very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. We have to catch that when we talk about changing the way we think, This is not some new age humanistic practice. This is aligning our thoughts with the spirit of God and with the word of God. This is what it's going to take. So over the next few moments, I want to look together at the process of Christian believing. We all know I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm a believer. She's a believer. He's a believer. But what's the process of like actually believing? Number one, only a new heart results in a changed mind. I don't think you can just change your mind all by yourself. You have to yield your heart, your spirit, the essence of who you are to God first. And again, this this is not some new age thing. This is a highly supernatural spiritual thing where the God who created you knows what you need. And let's not forget, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter 3, this guy's got a lot of it figured out, and he's doing all the behavior modification stuff. He's a teacher of the law, but he knows there's more, and he comes to Jesus trying to sort out, like, who are you, and what is this, and how do I attain the kingdom of heaven, and what does Jesus say? I tell you the truth, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed old Nick. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Pretty good question. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Nicodemus lived under the old covenant. He's trying to figure this out. I, mean, I think he's an earnest guy. And listen, I, I, I don't know about you, but I think about those times, like that time when Jesus was on earth, like where would I be? Where would I be? You got the intersection of the old and the new and weird stuff happening. And here's this guy. I think he's earnest. He's coming. And Jesus is saying, here's the thing you got to get, buddy. It all started with a word from God. And right now today, it starts by a birthing of the Spirit inside of you and everything that needs to happen happens after that it starts with a new heart it starts with being born again this is why people can read the bible and have all the biblical knowledge in the world and still not know god i remember my dad one time played a trick on me it's kind of a dirty trick he uh he sent me a dropbox link and he said hey you should listen to this guy uh he's got a lot of interesting things to say 
and it was like an eight-part uh, lecture on Paul, and it was just full, just chock full of Bible. But I'm listening to this thing, and I'm thinking, okay, it's interesting, and it's a lot of history, you know, that's interesting, and I get through the first hour, I'm like, okay, it's cool, I get to the next hour, but the whole time I'm listening, I'm thinking like, I don't know, man, like, why, why did my dad send me this? Like, something about this is kind of off, and I get through about the third one, and then I call him, and I said, okay, what's the deal? What did you, who is this guy? Who did you send me? And he starts kind of chuckling, and he had sent me a, uh, a Bible teaching by an atheist by the name of Bart Ehrman. He said, I'm just curious if you could sense that the spirit wasn't on it or not, even though he was teaching the Bible. You know, dirty tricks that dad plays on you. But I, but I did. I thought, something's a little off with this. Like, it's all, like, I appreciate what he's saying, but there was no life to it. It was the word of God and the history of the Bible absent the presence of, the, of God or a, or a changed newborn heart that was speaking it. So it was only information for him. Whereas when I read the word of God, it becomes revelation for me. It's not because I'm special and different. It's because of what has been birthed inside of me. You try to change your life without a new heart. It's just not going to work. It just won't. It just won't. That's why a lot of the positive thinking workshops and all that stuff ultimately fail. People just go from one to the next to the next to the next to the next. You know what next you need to get into? God's word today, tomorrow, and the one after that. That's the next you need to get into. But the heart has to be born again. Otherwise, all you have is behavior modification and your own just sheer willpower. Some of you are stronger than others. A lot of you are stronger than me. Your willpower, though, I don't care who you are, it will not sustain you like the Spirit of God can and will. Let me show you the next part of the process. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. That's a big deal, by the way. We read over that pretty quickly like, oh, yeah, I raised Jesus from the dead. Say what? Raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. That's some serious power that lives inside of you. And just as God raises Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Number two of the process, God transforms us from the inside out. He puts his spirit inside of us, his power inside of us. And then Paul again, when writing to the church, in Thessalonica, a Greek city, he says this to these Greek thinkers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through the spirit. May your whole spirit first, soul, then body, be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul is trying to help those who understood how to think one way, think a little differently about how lasting change occurs. They're used to seeing everything outside in, and he's saying, no, that's not actually how it works. There is a God. He's the one that made you. He's the one that formed you. He's the one that thought you up. He's the one that brought you into existence, and he knows that what you need is to be changed on the inside first. We kind of look at the Greeks, and sometimes I think we look at them and think, oh, well, that's, that's 2,000 years ago. The truth is they have a lot of input on how we live our lives today, a lot. A lot more than you might realize. And the other truth is we're not all that different from them. I mean, we have a saying, don't judge a book by its cover for a reason because that's what we all do. (laughs) We judge the book by its cover. We look at actions and go, "Mm, guess that's who you are. And in some ways it is true. But God's going, 
I don't work that way. Man looks on the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. And Paul is saying, hey, you need to think differently about this. In order for God to transform your whole life, let's start where it starts. With the Spirit. Be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that happens when you call upon the name of the Lord and believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And then your, your soul, which is really like your mind, your emotions, your thinker, your feeler, who that is inside of you that sort of makes you unique who you are. we got to get some transformation into that. And then ultimately, the transformation will occur in your body. And I don't just mean your physical body, but how you relate to the physical world that is around you. What you actually go and do. Your actions that come out. It all comes back from, first, what happened in your spirit? What happened in your soul, your mind, your emotions? Now we get the outworking of the physical body and the physical world. So God changes you from the inside out. But it still begs the question, like how do we come to actually think like God? My way of thinking leads to death, and God's way of thinking leads to life. How do we come to think like God? If you've been coming to church here for a little while now, you should already know the answer to this question. God changes the way we think through his word. Through his word. This is the renewing of the mind that becomes possible. John 17, 15 through 17 says this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Sometimes that's our prayer. <laughs> take me out of this problem. Take me out of this thing. I don't want to be in the middle of this anymore. Jesus says, you know, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. And then what does he say? Your word is truth. Sanctification process comes from getting in God's word. We learn how to walk in his ways through reading his word. Hebrews 4.12 says this about the word of God. It says that it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So God knows that his word has power, and he wants that to be inside of you. He wants that to be inside of you. He wants his word to be the thing that passes through your mind more than anything else every single day. Because he knows that the way you think leads to what you believe. The way you think actually leads to what you believe. This is a reason that so many people struggle even after we're saved. Because we want to start on the outside, but God says, no, 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 the problem is on the inside. And so you, you still, you get saved, but then you still watch what you always watched, or you still listen to what you always listen to, you still meditate on what you always meditate on. Meanwhile, God is saying, hey, my word, my word, my word. This is one of the reasons why, for me as a musician, I love listening to worship music if I'm going to listen, because as long as it's theologically correct, and most of it is, some of it's not, so you got to watch out for that. But the worship music that is in, in line with the Word of God can be helpful because it can put the Word inside of you. But so is reading and listening to the Scriptures. And by the way, i got no knock against audio Bible. You should do it. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. It didn't say by reading. Thank the Lord. All of you who like to listen instead of read. Faith comes by hearing. This whole, Even this whole idea that everybody can read is relatively new. I don't know if you know this, but... It's pretty new, actually, since the Gutenberg Press, that we can all actually read or we teach everyone to read. Most of this came by hearing, passing down, having the word read to you. So, yeah, read it with your own two eyes and let it pass through your ears. I personally like to do both. 
But the whole point is we have to get in regular, regular. Hope everything's okay there. Send a safety person, check that out. In regular contact with the word of God. By regular, I mean every day. Just like those commercials, they want to sell you something to keep you regular. I'm trying to get you regular in the word. Come on, somebody. That's all right, you can laugh in church. I've heard it said that religion is about mastering God, but true faith is about God mastering you. Sometimes we approach the idea of faith going, I need to figure out God. And all the while God's going, "Ah, you need to let me mess you up a little bit, get you back to the way that I intended you to be when I fought you up in the first place. But we all struggle to think like God, and this leads to a crisis of faith. This is just the truth of it. People are so influenced, again, by the music, by the movies, by the TV shows, by pop culture in general, just being like in the world with so many competing thoughts. And eventually, people who once knew the Lord, once even loved the Lord, once spent time in his word, they start to drift because they're being more influenced by the world that is around them instead of the word of God that could be right in front of them every single day. We are all like that. None of you are immune. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus. I don't care how many times you've read the Bible cover to cover. What I care about is, did you read it today? And are you gonna read it tomorrow? And are you gonna read it on Tuesday? Because if you don't, you are in danger of being untethered from God's will for your life because your mind becomes at risk. When you hear more of everything else around you than you do of the word of God, don't be surprised when your thinking starts sounding a lot like the world's thinking instead of God's thinking. I meet with people and their thinking is like the world. My first question is, how much time do you spend reading God's word? Is it like daily for you, weekly, monthly? Don't be surprised if you think the way the world thinks, if you let the world have a louder voice than God does. Psalm 119 says this, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. You know what happens when you're walking on a dark path at night and your light goes out? (laughs) You could end up where only God knows. You get lost, right? You can't see, you don't know which path is clear. There's a reason we have to be in his word daily because the world stays dark. And the light that you had walking that path, as soon as it goes out, you can't see anymore. we got to get back into his word. We live our lives on a daily basis, so we have to walk in his word on a daily basis. When we do that, our vision gets better. When we do that, we start to gain important biblical perspective. People talk about a biblical worldview, guess what? You don't get that not reading the Bible. You lose it quick when you stop reading the Bible, even if you thought you had it before. To start to close, I want to just give you quickly three biblical perspectives from God's word that I believe are important to lasting change. Lasting change. Number one, Jesus is the eternal word. Jesus is the eternal word. John 1, 14 says this, So the word became human among us and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The word, that's speaking of Jesus. Here's the perspective. Jesus was fully God and fully man. If you want lasting change, you can't just know about him. You have to know him. Number two, the Bible is one unified story about Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. Here's the perspective. Ultimately, what the Bible is always doing 
does a lot of things at the same time. But one thing the Bible's always doing is trying to lead us back to Jesus. And if you stay in your Bible all the time, it'll lead you back to Jesus too. Number three, the Bible teaches the will of God. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 16. I know I use a lot of Bible. I think now you know why. It says this. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day, love the Lord your God and keep his commandments, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live. Say live. And multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're about to enter and occupy. Here's the perspective. If we want our lives to be what God intended them to be, then we have to know his will and his ways so that we can walk in them. And as much as you may love God and feel admiration and gratitude and awe and wonder and all of those things, which are so very good and healthy, at the end of the day, you can't walk with Jesus on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday if you're not in his word on those days as well. It's just very hard to do. It's very hard to do. The will and the ways of God will only help you to the extent that you let his word direct your life. Maybe you're saying, well, that all sounds great, Pastor Nate, but I've tried reading the Bible and I just get confused and it puts me to sleep. What happens if I don't understand what I read? I get it. But faith without faith isn't faith. So here's what I would say. First of all, stay humble. Stay faithful. Remember that you aren't God, neither am I. Every time you come to read the word, ask the Holy Spirit, show me what you want me to know in this. Maybe sometimes you just got to slow down and read one verse and just meditate on each word and ask, God, is there something for you, for me, that you have for me in this word and? It's amazing how many times God has spoken to me through words that I didn't even think mattered. I just slowed down and asked and let the Spirit lead me. But here's the number one thing I would say to you. Don't quit. Don't quit reading just because it doesn't make sense to you. Keep praying. Keep reading. Keep coming to church. Keep coming here. Get in a small group or get with some other people and ask them, what do you think this means? Maybe someone can help you to understand. That's why we have small groups. People, we talk about this stuff. What does it say? And no matter what, keep prioritizing God's word over everything else. And I believe the revelation will come. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word that is alive. But I thank you that it's not a dead book of old words written by just only human hand, but it's inspired by you. Though it may have not been written to us in this modern time, it was still written for us, and it is still valuable. It is still the lamp that lights our pathway so our feet know where to land. God, I pray that you would put a hunger into us for your presence and for your word. Or just in the same way that we have the natural hunger that eventually if we don't eat during the course of a day, our body tells us you really ought to go eat something. Lord, I pray that right now, even supernaturally, Lord, I, I believe in those supernatural moments. And I pray now for one, that you would put into your people a hunger. God, that they would almost be forced in a sense from something inside of them to get into your word. That they would feel compelled to get into your word in the same way that at some point today, they're going to feel compelled to put food into their mouth, Lord, that they would feel compelled to put your word into their heart. 
Lord, that we would live, breathe, have our meaning in you and in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting Vintage.Church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.